Hey everyone, Joe here. In this episode, I had the privilege of talking to one of my dearest friends, Ronnie Woods, a senior enlisted leader in the United States Air Force who is transitioning to the prestigious position of the Wolf Chief, Command Chief Master Sergeant of the 8th Fighter Wing in Kunsan Air Base, Republic of Korea. We talked about the vital role that empathy, humility, and authenticity play in effective leadership and much, much more. Enjoy. Live. Learning. Leadership, the Lama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Lama Lounge, a dialogue on life, learning, and leadership. I'm Joe Bogdan, and I have a very special guest with me today, a dear friend and a man I consider a brother, Ronnie Woods. What's happening, bro? What's going on, bro? What's going on? <laughs> Oh man, it's been a minute, man. Is it is it safe to yeah. say that you like you're in between jobs right now? I'm definitely in between jobs right now. Like I definitely <laughs> yesterday I had my uh I had my last duty day out at Scott. I was sitting in as an interim command chief out there, and now oh, nice. on you know I'm headed headed to Kunsan to uh, go be the wolf chief. So I'm definitely looking forward yeah. to that. Super excited. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for you, man. So for the listeners, uh, Ronnie is a senior enlisted leader in the United States Air Force, um, transitioning, as he said, uh, from the, fr he was filling in as the interim command chief, and he was the superintendent of 375th Operations Group at Scott Air Force mm -hmm. Base, Illinois. Uh, and he's moving to the prestigious position, as he just says, the Wolf Chief, Command Chief Master on the 8th Fighter Wing at Kusan Air Base, Republic of yeah, Korea. Right. And bro, I'm so excited for you. That's like one of the jobs that I would hope to get one day, man, just to strive for because that's just, man, that's like the pinnacle, man. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, when uh when I got the call for it, I was like, wow, because you know, I was there as a staff sergeant, you know, mm. uh, and, and I know the environment and the culture there. So right. when I got the phone call, I was like, game on, let's do this. Let's do it. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because um, there's places that we got our home, right? And and we're going to hear right. a little bit about your story, where your home is. But then we, a lot of times we establish a military home. And I've right. like been lucky enough to, basically Travis is one of mine. I've been here twice. It's my second time here. Yeah. And, but Osan is my other one, you know, in Korea, because I've been there twice. And, um, and yeah. you know, uh, I, I was born right outside of Osan. So that's like home, right. home too, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's, it's real cool because Korea is just so amazing. Um. I've driven through Kunsan, but um, I never got to experience being assigned there. And I just, man, I just, I can't, I can't wait to see all the amazing things you're going to do down there, man. It's crazy, man. You say that it's home for you, man. It's turning into a home for me. So this is my, this going to be my third trip, you know, going to, to Korea and doing one year. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I did my first tour as a, as a right. young NCO. And then I went to yeah. Osan where I met you at, you know, right. where yep. we was, Cobra. me and you kept, kept, <laughs> We kept seeing each other there in the same places, making a difference for airmen. We like, hey man, yeah. we probably should become yeah. friends, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then you know, uh, here here next Saturday, you know, I'll be headed out there to start do my third year out there. It's gonna be cool, man. It's definitely it definitely means a lot to me, and it, I definitely consider it, you know, career home as well. Yeah, man. I mean, the food out there is just amazing. The people Ooh, are amazing. Yeah. The mission, you know, the mission, right? I mean, it's so so close hold to everything that we do and you know the eighth man they're so lucky they you know yeah. steve's rolling out amazing man yeah, and God. they're getting ronnie amazing man man and it's just it's just awesome man i'm so excited for for the eighth fighter wing as well as for you and your family bro 
Right, man. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate Steve too, man. He's been awesome. And he's setting a good example and modeling a good behavior of what I need to do out there because he's he's getting after it. He was getting yeah. after it in his year out there. So I'm I'm looking at him like, yeah, you set you set the bar. Oh yeah, man. And I think I actually saw a couple pictures of him smiling too, because you know that's a rarity to man, <laughs> see Steve C now smiling. That's gonna be the that's gonna be the biggest difference between me and him, right? Like like he he don't smile in no photos and I'm smiling uh, in every photo and I'm like looking right. like super happy and stuff like I that. Know. But, you know, like you know, I was security forces, you know, so like mm-hmm. like that's kind of a thing, like with being a cop, like hey man, I gotta look right. I gotta look the part, I gotta look serious. Right. Right. Yeah. I know you gotta but be that, all happy go lucky. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man, boy. yeah. Boy, though, but you, uh, yeah, you're, that's that's one of the uh, your trademark things, man. Is an infectious smile, man. Every time I'm around right. you, I want to smile, man. <laughs> so, right. so uh, right, I, I really appreciate that too. You know what, man? The smile comes from you know, like when I was getting mentored, a lot of times, uh, people would tell me, you know, when you see somebody, they might be, you never know what they're going through, you never know their story, you know, and just you being positive might be the difference between them having a good and bad day. Because I would tell you, it ain't every day I want to be, like, happy and positive. But what I've learned, especially, you know, being uh, being a senior NCO, being a chief, hey, if you can't bring that positive influence, then maybe you need to take a knee, take a day off or something like that, because you just never know when you when you see folks. So that's a lot of times. That's where the smile comes from. I just want to make someone yeah. happy, you know. Right. Man, that, that's awesome, too, because, you know, uh, having that smile, I mean, it could be a habit. And when we look at things and we all want to look at them as negative, then that becomes a habit, too. Right. So when we mm-hmm. look through because uh, every day, you know, isn't going to be the happiest day. But if you can right. see that there is positive things that happen during that day and things to smile right. about, every, you, you know, you develop a great habit. And I think that that can be infectious. Just like I said about your smile, man, it's, it's infectious, man. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's just definitely, it's definitely something I've learned over the years and, mm-hmm. and uh, definitely something that uh, Kunsan's about to get the, about to get the big smile, man, uh, from <laughs> cheek to cheek. They get it, yeah. man. <laughs> man, so, yeah, speaking of, so we kind of like alluded to a little bit of it um, about, you know, how you came up and everything, but I was, right. you know, I always find it interesting and I've known you for a while, but there's parts of your story that I know that I'm not even privy to yet. You know, I probably yeah. haven't heard about. So I'd love right. it if you could like share a little bit about how Ronnie Woods became, you know, Ronnie Woods of today uh, with with our audience, because I think um, we always learn something from from another airman's story. You know what I mean? You know what? So my story, like when I look at my story, it's very polarizing, right? So when I look at it, I've been the, uh, the airman that couldn't do anything right. I've been the senior NCO that couldn't do anything wrong. And when I look at it overall, when I look at the narrative of my career, I'm neither one. I'm like someone right in the middle, you know? When I was an airman that couldn't do, uh, they thought I couldn't do things right. Like I had the same qualities that I have now. You know, and when I was a senior NCO and I was number one on everybody's list, you know, I was still finding myself and I was I was a work in progress and far from perfect. So it started, you know, my career started out, uh, was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, uh, came from the inner city, uh, didn't have anybody in my uh, family that was in the military or anything like that. So I kind of came in blind, be 100 percent honest with you. I didn't even know a whole lot about the United States Air Force. I just... All I knew was they fly planes. That's like, that was probably 
I came in with that little of knowledge. And then, you know, that, that first day at basic training on that bus, you know, on that dark street. And, <laughs> oh, and then, you oh, know, yeah. they, they, they teaching us our reporting statements and how to, how to stand at attention and things like that. And then that yeah. first T I yelled and I swear I've been, I've been downhill ever since then, you know, but, but I, yeah, I started out my career, um, uh, security forces, uh, first 10 years of my career and, uh, probably the first year and a half, you know, in my career, I was struggling big time, just adapting, going from a very unstructured, uh, environment in Chicago to going to a very structured environment. And, and learning a lot of things in my first two years, which led to me getting in a lot of trouble. So uh, I got in a lot of trouble, got a Article 15, got a couple of LORs, got offered an administrative discharge uh, uh, by my commander. I actually went in there uh, and actually talked to him and gave a verbal rebuttal where I asked him to give me another chance. And uh, he gave me another chance because one of the crazy things about me was uh, when I joined the military uh uh, and I was security forces, I was had challenges off duty, but on duty, I had a lot of the qualities I got now, you know, good organizational mm -hmm. skills, like I was self-motivated and I would do really good at work. So it was a tough decision for that commander. And I think, you know, me talking to him, uh, he gave me one more chance and I was like, you know, this is, this is it. Like I gotta, you know, make a, make a turnaround. And then after that, uh, I ended up linking up with, a. Uh, NCO who was uh who had a similar background to me but was doing very well and he kind of put me under his wing and and you know I kind of took off from there uh so I uh definitely was uh, security forces for 10 years um never really like uh never really had a passion for that career field so I decided mm -hmm. to do something else so at my 10-year mark I crossed over um to command and control battle management or they refer to themselves by the AFSC a one Charlie one Charlie five um, I did that and that's probably when my career kind of took off because uh, it's a very small career field with not as many NCOs and and security forces even though I didn't have a real big passion for law enforcement one of the great things they do in security forces is really build leaders I mean as a senior airman you can be leading a flight of 30 folks and you're dealing with their schedules. You're dealing with their on and off duty conduct. So as a, you know, as a tech sergeant, you know, when I transitioned over to command and control battle management, that really stood out and, you know, uh, kind of, um, burnt through the ranks. I, uh, I burnt through the ranks relatively fast, you know, to the point where, you know, mm -hmm. I was, I was a chief at, at 17, sold on at 18. And uh, it's definitely uh, a lot of ups and downs, you know, in my career. Uh, I've learned a lot. Uh, and it's always been the same every every time I've uh, uh, learned to do things as an NCO, which is really, you know, take care of people. Um, tell your story, because it's a lot of people with similar stories, you know, where they, they were late bloomers like me. So I, I consider myself, you know, like a late bloomer. And and did that on a personal side, you know, um, so that's kind of my story on a professional side, on a personal side, you know, um, got three children, uh, my son, uh, sincere, he's 18. He joins the air force this summer. He's going, uh, nice. cyber operations, um, okay. got two girls, age 14 and uh, nine. my daughter will be 10 next week. 
And my wife, Akia, uh, she did uh, six years in the Air Force as well. Um, and she got out and man, pursued some other dreams uh, and things like that. So, yeah, man, that's that's yeah. that's my that's kind of like my story and my career in a nutshell, like been on both sides of it, man. And it's a uh, it's a beauty to take that experience and leverage that mm-hmm. when I'm uh, leading leading people at work. Yeah. And, you know, and what you talked about, how coming from the support side, going over to ops, I mean, that's that is, right. you know, quite a transition. But right. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, they don't develop great leaders across, you know, across an installation, you know, depending on whatever um, craft they might be in or specialty. Right. But but um, support, you're, you're right. Anything in a support world, typically you end up leading a lot of people. At, I mean, I was a staff right. sergeant. I already had a 20 per, 22 person work center, you know, trying to spin yeah. it around. So so I think you do get a lot of that peripheral learning. That's what I always like to call it. Right. It's like you're you're getting put into a situation. And you don't even know you're learning, but you are like, you know, off the sides on all these things. Yeah. It's that uh, Mr. Miyagi teaching you, right? The wax on, wax yeah. off. You don't even know what you learned and when you're doing it, you know. And it's the best form of learning, like actually mm-hmm. doing it. You know, we can we can read books till we blue mm-hmm. in the face. We can do these podcasts and give tips mm-hmm. to, to everyone until we're blue right. in the face. But you have to be out there and living it and doing it. And like you're right. Like when I was doing it, I didn't even realize it, how much I was learning. I didn't realize it until I went into a new environment where, you know, on the operations side, they're more technically focused. Versus, you know, you know, leading people. And I went there, I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is an easy one. Like I was, I was working <laughs> these type of issues as a senior mm-hmm. staff sergeant. And, you know, as a tech sergeant trying to find your way as a retrainee and learning the job. Uh, I learned then that that was how I was going to make my imprint. It wasn't going to be controlling aircraft and battle management. Mm-hmm. It was going to be, I'm going to take these weapons controllers and I'm going to take these battle managers and I'm going to make mm-hmm. them better men and women. Right. That's kind of went from there. Yeah. So would you would it would you say that your transition was pretty easy or were there some challenges also going from like the support side of things to the operational side of things? It was uh it was easy when it came to leading people in terms Mm -hmm. of doing the job, it was relatively challenging because I was a tech sergeant at the time, um a six and airmen don't airmen don't really understand retrainee they just see the stripes right. and, and they say right. uh you know how to do the job so i had to make a learning curve really mm-hmm. fast and mm-hmm. and in battle management it's a whole nother world man like you have to speak pilot so you have to be able to speak how the combat pilots talk and be able to follow those things and follow it relatively fast and i struggled you know a matter of right. fact I'd be 100% honest with you. I never really fully got comfortable with it. But, mm. you know, I ended up making master sergeant. Um, and they put me more in a man- managerial role and, and had me doing mm. things to where I can utilize my strengths, which is leading people, uh, organizational mm. skills, which is handling projects and, and getting things done. And even though I was, I would say, a slightly above average battle manager, my meat and potatoes and my bread and butter always was, you know, taking care of people to get them focused on the job. And, you know, as I moved up to senior master sergeant, you know, when I was a squadron superintendent out there with you at, at Osan, um, mm. it, that was predominantly my focus was, uh, you know, they, uh, we got personnel that's uh, really stressed out about these tactics, techniques and procedures. 
I'm going to find mm-hmm. a unique way to provide them the resources that they need, but also at the same time, you know, take care of them and, and uh, make sure they're good to go to keep them uh, focused on the job. And, and, and that was, that was the good thing, you know, like uh, one of my uh, early nicknames in my career was I was the empathetic leader, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, like uh, some of my peers used to kind of tease me about that, say, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Woods is uh, the empathetic leader, you know, he going to, he gonna make sure he he calm the room down and get everybody focused and how them put things in there, yeah. you know, prop, proper perspective. So yeah, definitely. Uh, I would say uh, it was it was tough technically. It wasn't mm-hmm. tough in terms of uh, personnel management. Yeah, you know, you you bring up a lot of great points there. One I would say is that um, it takes a lot of humility to be willing to, you know, take on that role that, you know, a, a sea change from what you were doing right. to moving forward. Right. And to find that happiness and what you want to do. And I think a lot of times we get stuck as humans in this sunken cost fallacy is like, I already invested 10 years right. in this career field. I don't want to start right. over. Right. But in reality, right. like if you 10 years is a 10 years, but in the grand scheme of a lifetime of being happiness, sometimes you gotta, you know, a lifetime of happiness, you gotta make that transition. And it's, you know, it's, it's not a smart move to kind of just stay in something that you're not necessarily happy in doing. If you have the opportunity to, to make yourself uncomfortable and grow a little bit somewhere else. Um, there's a right. 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 I always tell folks, you know, so when I'm sitting down talking to folks, whether they're in the military or whether I'm just mentoring civilians, I, for me, when I when I use myself as an example, it was really follow your passions. So mm-hmm. I had a passion. I want to be in the military. But, you know, as I was in security forces and don't get me wrong, you know, towards that towards right before I left, I was doing relatively well, you know, mm-hmm. in security forces. But when I transitioned over, you know, it was really just me kind of following a passion and, uh, right. and, and doing something that I felt, you know, was, uh, was something I, I had an interest in because at some point it was going to come out that I wasn't passionate about uh, what I was doing and right. who, who knows what would have happened. I, I definitely wouldn't be sitting here, uh, and in, in the positions I am talking to you, if I would have continued to do something that I didn't enjoy doing. Yeah, I, I think um, that's spot on. We, we we get stuck in those roles. We stay there. And then, you know, uh, in addition to that, I think one thing that kind of keeps keeps us um, together, you and I, is that we have that same perspective right. is because, you know, in our in our profession we could be overly tribal about things and sometimes we don't want to tell people to go do something else and we don't want to allow them to go do it you know like why don't like you know and and i'm in a civil engineer career feels like why wouldn't you want to be a civil engineer why would you want to try something different it's like no but if we have the mentality of we want them to be happy and better human beings like you talk about then we should help them reach their goals or whatever those might be you know and and i think that um i think we're getting better at it now you know, right. Um, but in the past, it was like, you, you could see it in the past. It was like, no, you, if you don't want to be part of our team, then I'm not helping you. And that, that's just a bad way to look at things. It's just the emphasis, man, of being focused on the individual, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when you're, when you're connecting with that person and you're being focused on that individual, when they sit in there and have a conversation with you, you know, the emphasis of that should start with what their passions are. You know, and you give them the pros and cons on both ends. I've had this discussion at least a thousand times with members where they come in my office and I say, you know, uh, if it's about money, uh, you can take your skills that you learned in the military and the Air Force and you can go out and you can make more money. 
Mm-hmm. If it's not about the money, uh, if it's about being a part of something that's bigger than yourself, you know, and going out and making a difference and being a part of, you know, the great one percenters that I call everyone in the military. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to do that, no, the money's not going to be kind of where you comparable to to the outside and, and you go from there. Um, and I, I always end with it's no wrong answer. Um, unless you do something that you don't want to do, that's the wrong answer. You know, um, if you, if your passion is financial growth and, uh, and finances and you decide to turn down, you know, a job where you might get paid double, that's always going to stick with you, you know, even in the military. Um, and if you go chase the money and you know, um, you miss kind of that, that team minded concept and being part of something mm-hmm. that's bigger than yourself, uh, which is something we, we take for granted all the time in the military, but you know, um, right. it's a, it's something that I know for a fact is a, is a reality that team minded concept that we have because my wife, mm-hmm. uh, my wife actually, you know, took the path of getting out and taking on different passions. And, mm-hmm. you know, she missed that. Like she missed like that, that, that team-minded concept that us right. against the world, you know, yeah. the camaraderie and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. You could you could go try to, you know, stack some dollars if you want to, but if you're not happy, you're just miserable with some money. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, and, and vice versa too. But yeah, and, and that's so what, you talked to. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh go ahead. and that's that's something. Uh, it works on both ends, right? That's something we gotta mm-hmm. know as leaders is that. Everybody's um, formula in terms of success is going to be different, and it's not—it's definitely right. not going to be aligned with yours. So don't try to mm-hmm. how make them be the next you. You can leverage your experiences to give them options, but you definitely want to just provide them with the facts so they can make the best decision for them. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's so uh, normal for us to project our own goals on other people, and we right. got to really be careful right. about that. And and I tell people all the time, man, everybody's white picket fence ain't the same, you know. Right, mine, mine is very right. different looking than another person's. So we right. got to kind of just be aware of that. Uh, my my white picket fence might be a loft up in the inner city, you know what I mean? <laughs> like right. where somebody else's right. might be actually a white picket fence or a farm somewhere, but we got to figure out what right. that looks like for them and help them get there. Right. Right. Yeah, for, for sure. So um, you, you talked a little bit about that emp- uh, empathic leader, right? You said that you're the dude. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah. That's what they titled it. Well, a while back, you wrote an article titled Leading with Empathy. And um, and in there, man, it was really powerful because you shared that, you know, you had you were having trouble. Um, like you yeah. talked about struggling, adapting to the military life. And then um, and, and you had a first supervisor that maybe they weren't able to connect with you as well right. and then later on you move can you can you um kind of like explore that a little bit with us um because some of yeah. the readers may and we're going to link that article to this the show notes to here but i thought it'd be kind of right. cool to revisit that a little bit first off that was uh that's one of the highlights of my career uh you giving me that opportunity to uh, express um some of my thoughts on on leading with empathy and being an empathetic leader um just being able to put my thoughts down and even even go kind of back in time and, and you know, tell my story. Uh, even when I read it, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, man, you actually went through this and, and you survived it. You know, like you need to start promoting this a little bit more. But I would tell you um, with my first supervisor, 
um, it wasn't when I look at it and the challenges that we had, it was just my supervisor, he wasn't doing anything good or bad. He just wasn't equipped to right. handle me. You know, uh, mm-hmm. he wasn't equipped uh, yet as a senior. He was a senior, you know, so mm-hmm. and security forces, one of the things that senior men are taking on six, seven airmen because Chris feels so good. And right. he wasn't equipped, you know, to provide me with what I needed at the time. Uh, so we had very different backgrounds. Uh, we didn't really talk. We didn't communicate. Um, and he only really talked to me when I did something wrong. So he wasn't really uh, providing me with some of the things that I needed to adapt because it was a purely a, a adaptation issue. It was purely that, you know, my first two years. I was going from one extreme to the other, and I I wasn't handling it well, you know, and I needed, I probably needed a supervisor that was a little bit more seasoned, you know, maybe a, a NCO, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, our personalities wasn't meshing well, and and it was it was really tough. So, like, like me, as I look back on it, I don't even say he was a bad supervisor. I just say, like, I was a situation. I was a case study for him that he just wasn't (laughs) ready for. Like, he wasn't ready to really um, address, like, some of the needs that I had. And and one of the key things that I do when I look back at that situation is one of the things that was broken and broken relatively early, and I think, you know, he might have inadvertently did it was the trust factor. I didn't go to my supervisor because I didn't trust him. I didn't go to him and say, you know, um, my, I'm sending half of my money back home to my parents. You know, this is why I didn't pay this bill on time. And you giving me a LOR for it because mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm taking care of my family back home. And you know what, if I would have trusted him because he wasn't a bad person, he probably would have walked me over to the family readiness center and, and you know, helped me with some budgets. But I never talked to him about that. Even when they issued the uh, the um, the paperwork and things like that, you know, and 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 on his end, you know, he he was still learning how to communicate. He definitely was still learning how to make a connection with a junior enlisted personnel. And he definitely didn't understand that we're all different. You know, the the six to eight people that he led were all different and needed, you know, to be connected with in a different way. And here's the reality about, you know, that situation. Um, if I wouldn't have got a new supervisor, um, somebody that can handle that, I more than likely would have led down a path where I'm definitely not talking to you right now, you know. Um, and I always, you know, so it's very complex and it's very um, challenging to lead people um, at that level. But I always tell people in terms of leading with empathy in that situation, it's not hard to just care. Now, you might make mistakes and you might do mm-hmm. things uh, not right. You might not know you got to go to the Airman Family Readiness Center or you need to refer to your first sergeant. But if you mm-hmm. simply just legi- legitimately just care about that person, and, and mm-hmm. really want their best interest in your heart, you know, you will do well. And, you know, when I transitioned to my next supervisor, it was like, you know, but he was more experienced, though. He was an NCO. Mm-hmm. And, and 
it was a lot different. You know, he would invite me to his home on holidays and which I didn't want to go, by the way. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Like I, I didn't want to go. Who wants to go to their supervisor house and hang out with them? I didn't want to do right. that. But, you know, it was like some things that was happening, you know, uh, when when he did that. I actually went hunting with him as well. Like he took me hunting, which mm-hmm. is another thing I didn't want to do. But uh right. he would take me. That must be your first time, right? <laughs> right, my first my first time, man. Like my first time going hunting and uh it was yeah. a horrible experience, but but I I will tell you you know we like so we sat so in my mind when I thought hunting was like like a scene off Rambo in my mind like an action movie that's what I thought it was so but actually a lot of it is just sitting in a bar sitting around yep but guess what we were doing we were talking right and I didn't realize that we were connecting and and I was learning a little bit of his story he was learning a lot about me and and why I see things and 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 I don't know if you can realize like my supervisor hunted and I didn't right it wasn't one of those things where you know like we had similar backgrounds we had very different mm-hmm. backgrounds but we right. it start those commonalities start to kick in and then going back to what I said before trust mm-hmm. like we started building trust so when I started having challenges and issues I was like oh he got my best interest in heart yeah I can't pay these bills you know sergeant right. uh I'm trying to figure it out and then he would start leading me down the right path and then right. it was very influential in my career because i always kept those experiences with me as, as a model of you know when i was an nco this is how i'm going to um i'm going to address things because the harsh reality for me being uh from the inner city and being african-american the majority of the people that i supervise going to have different backgrounds than me. so i need to be able to master the art of finding that connection and finding those commonalities that we have despite you know having different perspectives on things so that was really like the beginning of me to to finding my path and my niche you know with with having that empathy and, and leading and going from there so definitely uh some uh like i said when i was writing that article it was, it was a good memory uh good yeah. to go down memory lane and, and look That's at awesome. some of those stories yeah, man. And we really appreciated you writing that article. And I know when I read it, I thought a lot about how I love the way you you do a, a very jo- a good job of crafting that, hey, this member was not a bad person. They just I didn't right. connect with them. Right. And they were inexperienced. Right. And, um, right. and, and never at any point do you say they're they're a bad supervisor or a bad leader right. or whatever. It was just more right. like. You know, they and they may not have been the person you needed at the time. And I think us as right. leaders, we all need to have the humility to believe that, to understand that too. Because even me as a chief, maybe I can't connect with this person for whatever reason it might be. Um, maybe they're going through some issues that only a female will understand. So I might need to connect them to a female, strong female leader, right? I mean, right. Like, these are different right. things that we have to, like, I, I can't solve every single problem for you. You know what I mean? I, I need to know that. Yes. And I need to be humble enough to be willing to use my connection power to connect them to the right person. Absolutely. That's a great point that you bring up. That is a great point for our young supervisors out there to understand. Here's the reality you're not going to have the answer every time. And we have this defense mechanism, especially in the military, where we don't want to ask for help. We don't want to ask for help. We don't want to say, you know, I got this motivated kid from the inner city, but I can't connect with, you know, like, can can I have some tips? Or matter of fact, not even tips, can you go 
see if you can get something out of them that, you know, that I can't because I'm struggling with that. But I also, like I said, looking back now, again, I got a different perspective now as a chief. Looking back on it, I don't believe that senior airman was able to even grasp that at that point, right. you know, in their careers that, you know, I need to reach out for help, you know. Um, yeah. And like I said, the the challenging part with that is that if somebody didn't catch that soon and switch to supervisory, you know, maybe that young airman and myself who had a lot of potential doesn't get to the point where they get to spread their wounds. They're they're on their way, you know, into a different path in life outside of the military. Yeah, it's. I mean, even when you just told that story, uh, I'm just thinking that's a rough go to be a senior airman. You know, that yeah. means you've been in the Air Force only so many years and you right. have, you probably don't even know how to supervise yourself right yet. <laughs> and no, then you got no, like, you what, six to eight people, six to eight people, right. six to eight lives right. that you're trusted with to try to help. Right. I mean, that's just a rough go. I mean, <laughs> it was a rough, it was, it was a rough go. You know, again, that me as an A1C, I just was thinking bad supervisor, don't care about mm. me. Me looking back right. on it as a senior and CO, I'm like, member was not equipped for, for to deal with somebody like me, you know, just mm -hmm. wasn't equipped uh, for that yet. And at that point in their careers, mm -hmm. and it was challenging on both ends. Yeah. I mean, there is some, there is some goodness that could come out of um, challenging someone early in their career, but that's just a challenge that most of us would not be able to, to overcome, right. you know, and they would need more support in that situation. Right. And, um, and, you know, and the, what support they got, we don't necessarily know, you know I mean? You're, you're a young airman right. at the time. And, uh, and most, like most of us, we were all knuckleheads when we were, you know, airmen were yeah. running yeah. around yeah. You know, trying to yeah. figure out what we're doing. <laughs> and some of us just got lucky right. and didn't get caught, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I say that all the time. I was just reviewing someone's records yesterday. I was like, yeah, I noticed that you didn't get a decoration at your first PCS. You dude just smiled yeah. at me. And I was like, <laughs> We typically forgive that because we know we're yeah. all knuckleheads. When we're right, <laughs> you know? right, right. <laughs> so right. You know, um, I was just doing a a below the zone board, right, and and I was doing a below the zone board. No, no, actually, I take that back. I stand correct. I wasn't doing a below the zone board. I was doing force distribution for senior airmen mm -hmm. uh, at mm -hmm. the wing level, the, the small, the small one, and mm -hmm. looking at members' first EPRs, the ones who had like two or three. I always kind of right. looked at it with a grain of salt. I'm like, man, right? you know, mm -hmm. first one, like, I'm not going to hold a lot against them that first year right. uh, because of, uh, you're right, man. Everybody's got a history and everybody's going to learn right. and grow during that period. Right. I mean, we're just trying to figure stuff out. And then we're like trying to pretend like we're something else at that age. You know, right. we're still, our brains are still forming. We're trying to figure it out, right. but we, we got a weapon in our hands and we're going to right. take care of mission. You know, it's like, that's a, that's a mix. That's an interesting mix for a potential disaster anyway. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, like I'm telling you, I was all, I was always really good at work. Mm -hmm. What I struggle with is when I left work and, you know, mm -hmm. um, right. and made a lot of bad decisions a lot of bad decisions. And it took me a while to take that same attitude I have professionally and, and, you know, transition it to my personal goals. So. Yeah. And, you know, when you say that about, you know, with a grain of salt, uh, you know, for everybody listening um, 
And when we're talking about potentially looking at evaluations, people's appraisals, if you're not in the Air Force or military, right. and, and potentially recommending um, uh, promotion, right? And, right. and it's a big, it's a big uh, 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 little boost to help you get promoted. And, you know, those are right. conversations that we have to have. And when you're looking at those evals, yeah, I take it with a grain of salt when it's not good, but also if it's just perfect, because you're really like, look, right. you got to look at it both uh -huh. ways. Like, is this person really uh -huh. perfect? Because I know my, my evals were perfect at that time too, but I knew I was a knucklehead, right. you know what I mean? Right, <laughs> so, right, yeah, so, right. So it's, it's a interesting dichotomy that you got to kind of analyze when you're reviewing those records and uh, it's not it's not even fair sometimes for us to review it you got one eval for like four years of their career <laughs> right you know sometimes so yeah so awesome man you know um something i wanted to kind of just touch on was you're probably to me one of the realest people i've met when it comes to how you're willing to talk about things and, and as yeah. a leader you know what i mean and, and um i just have always appreciated it and whenever right. i'm talking to ronnie woods i've never felt like i was talking to um a, a facade and and right. um, i never got that feeling like oh you're shaking my hand right now and then oh someone else comes along and you and that you might feel right. more important you might move i never felt like that at all and you know there are those people out there um right and I've always kind of looked at it as like, you know, to inspire people. And I kind of did a short video on it to inspire people. You yeah. just got to show them that you're human. Right. right. And, and, right. And, and you do that, you do that because some people right. are just out there trying to impress people. And, right. and, and, and there's two different things, right? You impress people. All you're doing is showing them how, how like not human you are, right. How perfect you right. are. You're trying to show all the good right. parts. But when you, if you want to inspire people, you got to show them that you're human, you make mistakes and that they can, they can also achieve your success because you're human. Right. And so are they, and you do it, man. I, you're one of the people that I look to and see that example. And I really appreciate it. Right. You know what, man? And, and I would tell you for, for my young folks out there trying to find their way uh, when I kind of look back at my career, uh, that was kind of like when my career took off, when I just woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to work today and I'm going to be who I am. You know what? And and I learned, you know, when I wasn't trying to be something that I thought other people wanted me to be and I started being real and being myself, it became really easy. You don't have right. to think. You don't have to think mm -hmm. when you're being yourself. You know, when I'm sitting here talking mm -hmm. to you, I'm not, right. you know, holding back anything. You know, I'm giving people uh, who I am and I'm giving people me um, and having that humility. Um, and it does, you know, uh, you know, um, I look at it as it, it is makes it easy for me, you know, because I, I have a goal of connecting with people. But, you know, mm -hmm. by being real and being myself, you know, uh, it makes it easy to connect with people because people need to see that mm -hmm. that we're not perfect. You know, sometimes they mm -hmm. look at us and they see all of those stripes uh, mm -hmm. uh, on our on our chest or our arms, depending on which uniform that you have on and saying that, you know, that we're in the top one percent. That Sometimes they translate that as, you know, that that you're perfect, but we're not perfect, you know, uh, we need to show vulnerability. We need to show, you know, that we're growing every day just like them. And we have our challenges and 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 we're 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 trying to, you know, get better and, and do things like that. So I really do appreciate, you know, that that you see that and I see it in you as well, you know, um, the fact that that you be yourself and 
it motivates people below us to go out, you know, and be themselves. Because I have a goal all the time of being having having relevancy, you know, and realness and being something that people can look at and know that, you know, it's legit, man. It's not like some super polished person that don't make Mm -hmm. mistakes and and things like that. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, as a senior NCO, I I took my spirits along the way, you know, uh, with, with, with being exactly who I am. And I was okay with that, you know, because um, the connection that I had with personnel meant a lot more to me than what, you know, some superior above me, you know, felt, you know, you know, the direction that you should take on things. So, Right. And, you know, to go back on what you were talking about earlier, too, though, is if you build that trust with your leaders, you know what I mean? When you when you are laying it down and potentially, you know, going to take a spear for something, they know that you're, you know, that you have, you're coming from the right place as well, even if they disagree with you. So maybe um, they'll throw that spear anyway, but might be blunted a little bit, you know what I mean? It might not be all sharpened. (laughs) So uh, I I think that there's, there's so much there when it comes to that building that foundational of trust. So when we kind of talked about uh, quite a few things about empathy and all that, like do you feel that that is like the core of your leadership philosophy like i think you know we all should have a leadership philosophy on how if we don't we're just out there reacting to stuff as leaders right but if we actually have that core inner uh, philosophy of how we are as humans to lead and um i think it 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 helps not only ease the uh, the distress on our people because we know what we're doing but also helps us live to our meaning. And um, I think that's really important for folks and for our listeners, if you've never even considered thinking about writing one down or, or, or crafting one, um, there's, there's, there's a lot of goodness that comes with that. Right, yeah, for me, it's, it is the core. Mm-hmm. Empathetic leadership is the mm-hmm. core and that's where everything starts with me, you know, uh, in terms of, of my leadership philosophy is, and it, and it's relatively easy, I will tell you, uh, when you think about empathy and taking care of people and connecting with people. It's part of the reason when I was a young master sergeant, when I had um, when I had the option of becoming a commissioned officer, that I didn't go in that direction because, you know, the commissioned officer is more risk to the mission, uh, uh, getting the mission done. And I always looked at that, that senior enlisted leader as a person who was more risk to the force. Uh, what does this decision mean for the people? What does this decision mean for the resilience of personnel in terms of taking care of themselves, taking care of other people that they supervise and taking care of their families? You know, um, right. I always look at it from that perspective, but in terms of like the three big things, so it starts with empathetic leadership, but then, mm-hmm. you know, I have three basic priorities and I try to keep things relatively simple because you know um, I'm not like a philosopher you know I read a lot of books and things like that to get tips but I'm a simple guy that do super simple things and for me it's growth and development of people is the is one main thing it's uh being ready to do the job so in the military you know we call that readiness you know being operationally ready to do the mission and get the mission done and then your resilience you know, uh, in terms of uh, taking care of your family, taking care of your supervisors, taking care of others, 
I take those three simple things, and there's so many other subsets uh, for all of those, but it's like those are the three things that I kind of look at. And again, it always comes from a place of uh, empathetic leadership and connecting with that person. And I will tell you, you know, at, at our levels, you know, at the at the strategic levels, being a chief master sergeant, it's not necessarily about connecting with that one person anymore. You know, um, right? With uh, like it was when I was an NCO. Now it's more of of influencing the leaders mm -hmm. who influence the the um the supervisors, you right. know, to do things the right way. And and that's. That's kind of been the journey I've been on, you know, the last two yeah. years as a leader is learning how to spread that message uh, that we portray out there without being hands on. Because, right, right, it's, it's 4,000 people here at Scott Air Force Base as an mm -hmm. interim command chief. I can't connect with all 4,000. It's just mm -hmm. impossible, you know. Right. So uh, so you have to do it in different ways and, and do it from a more of a, a macro level. It's it's. It's definitely a work in progress on my end. I tell you, bro, I'm growing every day in terms of that. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a weird contrast there too. It's like a macro level because it's huge, but then really you got to focus on the micro things at what you can influence right. at your level. So, so right. it's like you got to identify the levers of change that are going to make the biggest influence. And and some people, sure you know, do. it's difficult to do. And the um the other the one thing that I think connects us, and we could call it different. Um, philosophies but we're just trying to create world championship winning coaching trees you know what i mean like I, when i look at man. the ronnie woods coaching tree you know i'm going to see right. a bunch of senior ceos that later on are winning winning right. championships wherever they go and that's right. always been my goal is is right. take my senior ceos and i want them to win some championships wherever they go and i gotta equip them right right you gotta you gotta provide them with that you know you gotta be able to influence the people that's doing the majority of influencing and and uh and find creative ways to do that you know like even even in llama lounge right you know like us us sitting here talking and some of the things that we doing here in a lounge kind of goes directly to that you know like even in this conversation we having right now man like my goal and this is just to inspire one person i mean mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not trying to inspire thousands of people or hundreds mm -hmm. of people i want one person to watch this and just be inspired and i felt like it right. was worth it was worth right. our time, you know, to be able to yeah. do that. And that's that's definitely the good thing about this is just finding unique ways to connect with people and, and sharing our stories from the perspective of being relatable, as we talked mm -hmm. about earlier, having that relatability and saying, you know, you, you can do this by doing it your way and, and connecting with people and doing that. So. That's a that's a good goal, man. Because we probably only got like seven listeners, so we could, if we could get one of them, <laughs> you know, yeah. we we climbing though. We started off with one and a half listeners, so we moving up. We moving up. Right, we moving up. That's good, man. That's good. <laughs> man, man, awesome, man. I really appreciate you. Um, you know what we typically do? We try to we try to wrap these up with a leadership rapid fire. And you talked about you don't mind being vulnerable. What we do is yeah. we, we we shoot some shoot some questions at you and um and try let's to do it man get the quick answer that you got all right <laughs> right let's, let's all right it, man. man the leadership rapid fire question number one what is your favorite leadership trait and i'm sure we kind of already talked about it but your favorite leadership oh, trait uh empathy all right perfect all right so what is your favorite quote my favorite quote um 
my favorite quote is uh they don't know what you they they don't care what you know they want to know you care awesome thank you yeah. all right um we talked about reading a little bit what's your number one book that you would you would uh recommend to an aspiring leader uh i will say uh start with why by simon Sandler. okay nice nice and um how do you find your harmony between life learning and leadership because that's what we do at the llama lounge life learning and leadership right. how do you find that harmony between those three for me uh, i find a harmony by knowing yourself you know uh knowing yourself uh, uh knowing who you are you know, you can't you can't have any of those qualities that we're doing here at the lounge without first knowing knowing exactly the person that you are inside and out uh, to be able to lead to find those things and find those passions and understand people and understand like what you can provide for others when you know yourself um, and you can be able to you know ask for help and it takes time like. When you're finding your harmony and you're, and you're finding out what you're trying to do with that, you got to understand that it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to go through the trials and tribulations. You're going to have your successes. You're going to have your failures. And each and every time you're going to learn and get better. These journeys that me and you've had, you know, this was these journeys started day one when we had basic training. And we've kind of evolved to where we are now. And even now, we're still on a journey. Oh yeah. It, it never ends, man. We're always trying to put ourselves in situations where right. we're uncomfortable. We got to grow a little bit. And I think that's the biggest right. difference between when we were young versus older, we kind of mature and realize that that's right. the only way you're going to grow. Right. Right. Man. Right. Man, Ronnie, yeah, we got to do this again once you're in Kunsan because this is a great conversation, man. I love talking to you. I don't think we've even seen each other physically since back when we were at Osan together. No, uh, no, we minute. haven't. No, yeah. we haven't really seen each other in a while, but you know, uh, through social media and things like yeah. that, it don't feel that way, you know, as right. I'm saying you going on your journey and I've been going on mm -hmm. my journey and we stay pretty connected uh, throughout yeah. things. Like I said, our connection started because of our, we enjoy doing the same things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I said, in Osan, I'm like, dude, everywhere I'm at, you're at, you're there as well. <laughs> you know, like, let's become mm -hmm. friends, you know, um, mm -hmm. and it's definitely uh been cool. I definitely want to do it again because, like I told you, I'm on my journey, man. I'm about to go yeah. uh, take this role on that, you know, hopefully, you know, I can go out there and make a small difference for some of the airmen out at the Wolfpack. Um, definitely yeah. looking forward to that and, and taking care of some people. All right. Yay. I really appreciate your time, Ronnie. It was great catching up, and I look forward to running this one back again sometime soon. To all of our listeners, as always, be safe, stay healthy. Llamas out. Thanks for listening to the show. We'd love for you to connect with us at www.llama-leadership.com and on Facebook at facebook.com slash llama leadership and also on Instagram at llama leaders. And a big thanks to Mike Whitmer for the music. To check out more of this stuff, go to soundcloud.com slash Mike Dash Whitmer. Thanks again. See you on the next episode.